You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Nashville Statement is a confessional document released by CBMW in 2017. Since its release, the Nashville Statement has been signed by over 25,000 evangelical pastors, scholars, and leaders, as well as adopted and affirmed by evangelical churches and institutions across the world. In this podcast series, we are walking through each of the 14 articles of the Nashville Statement as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications with Denny Burke, president of CBMW and one of the principal authors of the statement. Today, we are tackling Article 12. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the president of CBMW. Here's what Article 12 of the Nashville Statement says. We affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power, and that this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We deny that the grace of God in Christ is insufficient to forgive all sexual sins and to give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin. Here in the Nashville Statement, um, the articles begin to take a turn towards the gospel, and what a hopeful statement that is. Yeah, absolutely. What I'm hoping readers will detect in Article 12 is an echo of Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And what you'll hear in what you hear there in Titus chapter two is first of all a reference to the fact that the grace of God saves us, which mean and it says right here that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, which means Jesus gave himself for us. The Lord God sent Christ to die on the cross and to be raised for sinners. That happened in history, and it's an accomplished fact. Um, He died, and he was raised, and he's alive right now, and he offers merciful pardon and transforming power to people. So all you have to do to participate in this is to repent of your sin and trust in Christ that the Bible says you will be saved. So the grace of God is saving grace, but but it's also, and what's clear here, is that it's transforming grace. So it not only saves us from the penalty of our sin, but the grace of God also saves us from the power of our sin. Now, we're talking about the Nashville Statement, and we're talking about how all these things apply to you know issues of sexuality and gender, but this is a statement about how God's grace touches all sinners, no matter what your issue is. Um, the Lord intends to change you and transform you, which means, yes, you have forgiveness upon repentance and faith and in believing in Christ, but then you also have the presence of the Spirit inside of you changing you and conforming you more and more to the image of Christ. It's what... Um, what we call sanctification. It doesn't happen all at once, but it's a process that plays out over the course of your life. And that's what it is for every single Christian. And what we're trying to say in the Nashville statement 
is that, hey, listen, that applies to all sinners who come to Christ, not just straight ones. This applies to everybody. If you're having gender confusion, if you're having, you know, same-sex attraction, if you've lived a life where you've indulged same-sex attraction and maybe you've been the prodigal and walked away from what you were taught, or maybe you were not taught um, to be a Christian growing up and you just sort of lived into this identity for a while, what we want people to know is, is that, listen, the Lord is, his arm is not too short to save. And there is no sin that puts you beyond his reach. Um, His mercy is transforming and can reach to all kinds of places that are unexpected. So you're not beyond his reach. But um, when he does reach you, he's going to give you forgiveness of sins, but then also this transforming grace, which changes your life. Yeah, when I read the affirmation of Article 12, it is just such a hopeful statement. Um, And it's a statement that really doesn't have any reference to any of the Nashville issues. It's just broadly construed as a true statement about the gospel power in the believer's life. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, We affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power, and this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires and to walk in a manner worthy of, of the Lord. Denny, you already summarized this, but this is just literally a theological statement about progressive sanctification. Yeah, and it's Christianity 101. In other words, this is a basic affirmation that any person who comes to the faith is going to have to understand and realize because it's going to mark the rest of their life. Um, You know, it's been said before, and I agree with it, that when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you have perfection in your life, but it does mean that you have a new direction in your life. Hmm. So it's not that you all of a sudden become sinless in your existential experience, but you do have a new direction, So, which means that you used to be a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You used to not have the ability to say no to sin. Now you do have the ability to say no to sin. You used to be getting... Um, you know, you know, further and further away from the Lord. Now you are, because of Christ, you've been reconciled to God, and you're being given progressively the ability to walk in greater amounts of, of faithfulness over the course of your life. Now, you know, the Bible says in, in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to act and to will according to his good pleasure, which means that when you become a Christian, God gives you, through His Spirit, the ability to do the things that you didn't used to want to do. He gives you new desires, and He gives you the power to carry forth those holy desires in life, which means that you can put to death the old, and you can affirm and walk in in the new. So, you know, the, the Christian life is really just a life of constant repentance and faith, turning away from sin, trusting in Christ, and then growing in Christ. And that applies to everybody. Again, this is this is Christianity 101. But what we want to affirm is that, look, this applies to everybody, okay? A lot of people, and, and I hate to say this, but sometimes Christians will treat these sexuality issues as if they're exceptions, as if, no, this doesn't apply. This applies to everybody who's straight. No, this applies to everybody, at any sinner who comes to Christ. Now, 
the, the reason that we have to emphasize this is not only because sometimes Christians misunderstand this, but because the wider culture is pressing us here. The, the wider culture right now does not want people to think, doesn't want um, people who are same-sex attracted to think that they can ever change, that they can, um, that they can ever experience transformation in their life through the Holy Spirit. I, I was just reading this week that um, it's in our own government right now, there's um, policy, policies being formed that are basically outlawing, quote-unquote, conversion therapy. Now, it used to be everybody understood conversion therapy to be a certain kind of uh, um, secular psychological approach to getting people to no longer feel same-sex attracted. Uh, it was known as reparative therapy, and it was a psychological approach not really rooted in the Scripture. That's not what these laws outlawing conversion therapy are referring to anymore. I mean, it, it includes that, but it's not just that. It's really any effort to get a person to change their sexual orientation. Almost the outlawing of Christian conversion in that sense. It, it really is. No, it's, it's any, in other words, any just ordinary pastoral counseling that I would give to someone who's saying they're feeling same-sex attracted and there's, you know, they don't want those same-sex attractions, but they're powerful and they're trying to walk with Christ. What do I do with these? You know, and I'm trying to tell them um, just like what, I, what I would say to any person who's a sinner dealing with sinful desires. I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, you don't want to act on those desires, but then you also need to realize that you need to put to death those desires through the power of the Spirit. That kind of conversation are the, are the kinds of things that they're wanting to label conversion therapy and that they want to sanction in a number of different ways. So there are powerful forces today trying to um, brook what Christians say, you know, just regular Orthodox evangelical Christianity, what we've been saying all along. And so Christians are going to have to be clear about these things in our own minds and in our own witness. And it seems to me there are actually two ways you can deny the truthfulness of the gospel, the gospel's pardoning and transforming power here. One is to deny that sexual sins are sins at all, and the other is to deny that the gospel can transform those sexual sinful desires and realign them with God's holy purposes. That gets us to our denial. It says, we deny that the grace of God in Christ is insufficient to forgive all sexual sins and to give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin. Yeah, and so notice the last part there. We deny that the grace of God is insufficient to give power for holiness to every believer. Now, what we did not say there is that uh, once you become a Christian, that means eventually um, all of your same-sex attractions will go away. Uh, we, we don't say that because we don't say that about any sin. We don't say that to any sinner that once you become a Christian, all your desires for sin will go away. Nobody believes that who's a, who's a Christian. Also, that would be a denial of the Bible in 1 John, which says if you say that kind of thing, uh, you're a liar and truth is not in you. That's right. Now, what we do believe is that eventually um, our faith is going to be made sight. We're going to have a resurrected body and all the fallenness that we're coping with right now, the Lord's going to swallow up in a moment in the resurrection. And we're, we're not going to have to cope with this at some point in the future. But we know between now and that last day uh, before the resurrection, we're going to be, 
it's a struggle, right? All of us are struggling with sinful desires. So we're not trying to say that if you're struggling with same-sex attraction um, and, and, and this has been you know, a big-time problem in your life, that when you become a Christian, that it just goes away. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a, I remember talking to a student one time several years ago after we were talking about these issues in a class, and she came up to me and said, um, you know, I uh, was in a lesbian relationship, got saved a few years ago, then I ended up here at, um, uh, you know, where I, at the college where I teach. And she said, you know, when I became a Christian, all of my desires, you know, same-sex desires went away like immediately. Uh, well, that's the only person that I've really ever heard that kind of a testimony from. That is not the normal testimony. I mean, it's wonderful. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying it can't happen. It does happen. It happened for her. For most people, the testimony that I hear who are wrestling with same-sex attraction is after they become a Christian, it's still, these these temptations are still emerging, and they still have to, to wrestle with them. And so their their struggle is, is how do I wrestle faithfully with aberrant sinful desires, right? And so their, their wrestling is just what all of us are having to do, right? We're having to put to death sinful desires and walk in holiness. So what we're, we're not saying here that you won't have to wrestle against sinful desires anymore. What we are saying is that the grace of God is going to give you power for holiness to every single believer so that you don't have to obey those desires you don't have to be subject to those desires. You're certainly not enslaved to those desires. And then over time, we do believe that the Lord can cause a, lesson, a lessening of the, the stranglehold that those desires, that you feel those desires have over you. So that's just normal, progressive sanctification that we hold to for all sinners. And we, we just want to say that applies to people who are sexual sinners, even those who are experiencing same-sex attraction. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.